When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Here we discuss all things Black Hereford. Join me for in-depth conversations and insightful interviews relevant to your Black Hereford operation. The idea for this episode really came from a lot of discussion boards, uh, primarily on Facebook, that I've been seeing a lot lately. I've talked before about how the beef industry tends to do this weird thing where everything has to exist on a pendulum. Everybody has to be boxed into one category or another. We've talked a lot about the whole terminal versus maternal. They must be diametrically opposed. You can't possibly be trying to breed something that will do well in both arenas. And the way I reject that. But lately, I've been seeing more of this team building, if you will, on the idea of I am a numbers breeder, a data breeder. And no, I completely reject all of the numbers and the data And I only breed based on phenotype because all of that data is nonsense. And I feel about like that argument, like I do the maternal terminal debate, right? Like there is room to exist in the middle. There is room to value both phenotype and data. And so then along that data rejection kind of group, there's a growing discontent with genomics and the role that genomics play, how much weight they're given in EPDs, and just kind of the impact they're having on the industry overall. And I think some of that is, you know, a reaction to newfangled science kind of thing. But I too have some genuine questions. You know, how much weight are they given in the EPDs? Uh, Does genomics mean I don't need to ultrasound anymore? You know, what's the value of actually paying that ultrasound tech and and taking that day out of my life to get that data if genomics can just tell me what the carcass is going to look like anyway? There's some really great questions that are being asked in this debate, too. So I decided to bring back an old friend of the show that really is an expert on all of this and see if we could answer some of those questions. If you'd like to hear more from Leoma... I'd recommend you go back and listen to episode 24, which uh, came out in March of last year when she came on and we had a really solid conversation about honest data. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Black Herford Chronicles. I'm back with a guest that we've had on before, and I am so excited that she was willing to give us some more of her time because I think Leoma is probably one of the smartest people that you could sit down and talk about beef science with. 
So for those that don't know you or haven't heard you speak before, will you give us just a quick rundown on who you are and what your background in the industry is? Yes, Jennifer. And number one, that is way too kind. Thank you for that. Uh, my name is Leoma Wells. I am the owner and founder of Data Genie LLC. I have a unique skill set in the way of I've worked for a breed association, uh, which was the American Cemental Association for 12 years. So very intimately involved with IGS, which is International Genetic Solutions. I then decided I wanted to work with more breeds. So I went to work for Neogen for four years. And then now I'm out on my own. Uh, I work a lot with allied genetic resources and breeders who just want to progress and improve their genetics. And so I think that it's very important to highlight uh, when we start out our conversations, Jennifer, I am not a trained geneticist, but I do love to nerd out with some of the most intelligent people that are out there. And I try to take what they do and what they know and boil it down to these bite-sized chunks for us as producers and how do we absorb and you know take advantage of this information that all those really really smart people out there are trying to bestow upon us well and your background just puts you at such an interesting intersection you know between neogen and breed associations and all those different IGS in there. So I, you're just a wealth of knowledge. So I'm excited that you could come on today. We are going to focus on genomics today. And I want My us favorite. to start real basic with what is a genomic? Because we hear it a lot, right? It's kind of a buzzword right now, but I think there's a lot of lost understanding. So what is a genomic really? And where do they come from? Yes. So it's always great to start with what I call terminology. Okay. So when we talk about DNA, it's like someone will tell you, I DNA'd my heifer. That really tells us nothing, right? Jennifer, like, that's like, say, you know, I went out and took a picture of my heifer. Like you're like, okay. Uh, so when we talk about DNA, there's multiple components. So genomics is actually the study of how the genes work together and express themselves, okay, in an animal. So genomics is studying what did you inherit from your sire and your dam and your ancestors, and how does that come out as an expression as a phenotype, okay? And so we're studying down to the alleles, like down to the genes, but it's different than genetics because genetics is simply what you inherited. Genomics is looking at how that combines to create you. Okay, how long have genomics been... Well, I mean, we're, we're still working on the accepted, right? But how long have we been using genomics in the beef industry? Yeah. So in beef, interestingly enough, the first genomic panel commercially available. So there's, they've obviously been researching since the late nineties, commercially available was 2009. And we, we started in genomics with a, with what we called a 50 K panel and people were running that 50 K panel on blind trust. I'm going to be very, very honest. I always am, but we were running that with the hopes that someday the technology of our calculations and our evaluation would be able to catch up with us and give us our investment back on that, our ROI. So those first three years, 2009 to 2012, 13, we had folks spending $90, $125, Jennifer. Like we talk about the cost of genomics. I don't think people remember that 10 years ago, you know, it was costing us $90 to run it. And we evolved to where Bolt came out, which was our, you know, single step evaluations. Um, and Angus came out with their single step evaluation in 2016, 2017, you saw those come out. And so the technology 
of DNA had finally came together in the merge with our statistical mathematicians. And they were able to create these evaluations that really capture um, and enhance the value of what we've been doing since 2009. So would you, would you say that the value of that data has increased as the science has increased in the last 15 years? I would say that, well, number one, the cost of running a genotype has came down. Right. Okay. So, so I think arguably uh, the value is, is, is there because the cost has come down. So we've, we've, we've leveled that out. In addition, you now have an evaluation in almost every breed that allows your genotyped animals to also impact the non-genotyped animals which is fascinating, right? Because we know more. So if we have, you know, if we have cattle that are related to your animals that have been genotyped, that's going to impact your animals because we know more about those animals and, you know, their genomics. And people ask us all the time, well, well, how can you evaluate an animal that doesn't have genomics on file? And it's like, because we have all this information about animals that are connected to that animal. So think of the evaluation like a spider web. That's what I ask everyone to do. Think of it like a spider web and just multiple connectivity points. And so, yes, I would say that the value of running genomics is there in 2024. Well, with all things data reporting, right? The more reporting you get, the better the accuracy will be. Yes. Well, and, and we look at traits. Okay, so what you just said. So why is your accuracy lower on carcass traits than it is on birth weight, weaning weight, and yearling weight data traditionally, because right, we don't have as none. much data, right? Yeah. Right. And, and so I think that when we start looking at the framework of your EPDs and how those are devised and developed, genomics is a large piece of that because historically traits that were very difficult and monetarily prohibitive for us to collect we can kind of peek under that hood with genomics and get a little bit more insight than we ever have before. What role do the genomics then play in the EPDs? That's, that's a great question. And so we just talked about accuracy. So if you're someone who sits out there and just looks at the actual EPD of an animal, I would encourage you to look Below that, whichever breed association you work with, they tend to print accuracies with those EPD numbers. And genomics plays a role in increasing the accuracy of various EPDs, okay? And in order to have a genomic enhanced EPD, obviously we have to be producing an EPD for that trait, um, but you also have to have enough phenotypes, which is data that's collected on the actual animal, that come into play with a genotype. So that same animal not only has to have phenotype data, Jennifer, it has to have genomic data as well. So people ask me about PAP, okay? Pulmonary arterial, mm -hmm. like, and, and when I, we talk about a PAP genomic enhanced EPD, why do some breed associations not have a PAP genomic enhanced EPD? Because we don't have enough animals that have had a PAP score in addition to having a genotype. And so, you know, as a breeder, if you're sitting out there and you say, I would really love a genomic enhanced EPD for, I don't know, pick one, you know, whatever it might be, uh, let's say dry matter intake or DMI. 
Well, then hopefully you're collecting dry matter intake on your animals and you're also genotyping those animals and you're sending that all into the association. So step one, collect the data. Step two, collect the DNA. Step three, send it all to the association, right? And that's what makes the magic happen. So when you're asking me about EPDs and what goes in, what goes in depends on the breeder. Ultimately, it falls on all of our shoulders. What comes out depends on the evaluation and the breeder. So I love the way you broke that down because there's been some discussion lately that there is no need for phenotype reporting, right? Because mm. they're just running everything off of genomics. And I think it's important for people to hear that that's not how the EPDs work, that it is a balance between the two. How important is that balance? Is there a weight given more to one over the other? Should there be? I would love to hear your thoughts on that balance. So that, I mean, I, I trust that the evaluation and the people, like I said, the really, really smart folks behind this, because it's mathematics. Okay. So let's, let's, you just touched on what is a basic EP and I'm going to this, if you're cringing, cause you're out there and you're a trained geneticist, my apologies. <laughs> uh, but when we look at it, I always say P, which is phenotype equals G, which is genetics plus E, which is environment. So what you just asked was people think that they can stop submitting phenotypes, which is if you do algebra, if we all go back to freshman algebra in high school before they taught the common core. <laughs> You know, I'm having nightmare if flashbacks. Not, if we're not submitting P, if we're not submitting phenotypes, I'm expecting G, genetics, and genomics to help me solve for both E and P, Jennifer. Did I just give myself the best opportunity for success? No. And that's what evaluations look at. So when you're asking about weighting, each, each evaluation has different weightings right? Um, for different breeds based off of breed effects. And I mean, we could go down rabbit holes for days with your, with your listeners. But what I want you to trust is if you're trying to solve a mathematical equation, the more pieces of the mathematical equation that you can input, how much more successful will you be at like coming to an answer and helping to solve your, your equation? So if we're, in a, if we're starving the evaluation of phenotypes, and we're just sending in DNA and those cattle, you know, have nothing attached to them besides a sire and a dam. Wow. Are we going to do a very good job on our end at sending back and assessing for your environmental conditions when we don't know that all of your cattle weighed 400 pounds because you're in the midst of a drought in Kansas that's never ending and your cows are in poor condition? No, we're not going to know that, right? because we're not going to know they weighed 400 pounds. We're just going to be looking at their genetics and saying, Hmm, well, we're going to rank these cattle like this. Cause that's, that's what we know. So we're going to miss your rock stars and we're going to miss, you know, creating that nice bell shaped curve for you. So to, I, I guess to boil all of that down on my soapbox, if you are not submitting phenotypes, you are shortchanging yourself as a producer because they're not going to be able to do the best possible job evaluating your cattle without that information. Well, and one of the pieces that I love of this is that you can kind of solve your own problem here, right? If you're someone who is really concerned 
about phenotype. You feel like you've seen this trend to maybe not submit it anymore to rely on genomics to do that heavy lifting for you. Okay, make sure that every animal that you're considering purchasing has that data turned in. That's easy enough, right? You can look on the registration and make sure that there is actual data submitted. The marketplace can solve this if we allow it to and if we're willing to do our own homework. That's just a rabbit hole I like to go down. <laughs> well, and, and what you just said is the beauty of it, right? We we are in control of our own destinies. What happens on our operations and our farms it is literally our responsibility. And if we are collecting that information and sending it in on an animal and recording it, you're, you know, the fact that you're doing genomics on top of that, you are doing the best possible job you can do as a seed stock provider. Like end of story that, I mean, and, and like you just stated, if you're very passionate about feed efficiency, then maybe you better figure out a way to send your cattle off to feed efficiency. To, you know what I mean? Like whatever your passion project is, or however you feel like you can better market cattle. If you don't want to print, you know, adjusted weights in your catalogs, don't print up. Like, like you said, that is up to you. How you market your cattle is up to you, but setting yourself up for success so that that way, when you transfer those cattle, like you said, Jennifer, if someone is concerned with that, like set yourself up for success. That's the best, that's the best way to, but what you publish is up to you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the basis of it. So I want to nail you down on one specific trait that I've been mulling over that ties into this so well, because it's an interesting one. And you've touched on it a couple of times, our carcass EPDs, mm. right? We're getting ready to ultrasound. So it's front of my mind. We've always ultrasound. In Black Herefords, we struggle with carcass data. We just yep. don't have it, right? We just don't. I want to thank... Jason, Kristen, Austin, and Cole over at Schrader's Black Herefords for their unwavering support of the Black Hereford Chronicles. They've been cheerleaders for this program from the start, both sponsoring the show and keeping my fire lit to do this. Sometimes it's hard to tell if there's any value in this thing, and Schrader's have been so wonderful to push the show and keep me rolling. And that really is Schrader's in a nutshell. They're huge supporters of everything Black Hereford, and are doing it not only with their involvement, but by producing top quality Black Herefords. Schrader's Black Herefords are pretty popular, so they never sit on the market very long, but they are taking reservations on spring calves now. If you wanna know more about this serious Black Hereford operation that values data and performance, that believes in the future of Black Herefords, give them a look. You can call Jason at 573-680-1439 or check out their website, Schrader's, that's spelled S-C-H-R-O-E-D-E-R-S, SchradersBlackHerfords.com, and don't forget to follow them on Facebook. How, because we don't have the carcass data, do genomics make those actual ultrasound scans irrelevant because they're not followed through to the rail? It's a wonderful question. And one that you touch on, because when we came out with genomics, folks thought that they would be able to stop ultrasounding and save themselves the 20, I think it's $22 a head, right? Like right. I mean, it's, there's a cost in there. Yeah. Right? 
And what is very intriguing is we saw some producers move away from that, Jennifer, and other breeds that have had this for a while, right? And in three years, it was not good. Three years of not submitting ultrasound data. And this is what I'm going to tell you, because if you're not replacing that data with actual kill data, so to your point, if you are a producer who collects kill data and turns in carcass data to your association, you can probably if you speak with a geneticist, feel very comfortable not actually taking ultrasound scans because you are turning in carcass data, okay? But if you are someone who does not have that ability, your best possibility of turning in a phenotype, even though it only connects to that individual animal today, because an ultrasound scan only evaluates mm -hmm. the animal, right? That is your best way of capturing carcass characteristics on an animal. And it is very, very important that you, if you are not capturing carcass data, that you are capturing ultrasound data. And so as a breed, like you just said, you know, at Black Hereford, the best that you can do sometimes is ultrasound. So you're not hitting the ideal of capturing actual kill data, but that's, you know, like, that's okay. That's something to work toward, a goal to work toward, but please don't try to save yourself the cost of ultrasounding because that is connecting, right? And allowing that phenotype on that individual to correlate with your genomics and what they're seeing on the genomic side. Cause at least you're getting IMF, you know, you're getting your ribeye area. Um, so, and I would encourage Jennifer, I don't know if you guys are doing your heifers or not. Yes. Perfect. Look at that. Yeah. Look at that. Like, so it's like oh, performance advocate. Um, but folks out there who don't scan their heifers, that is something that I would encourage them to consider. Once again, I, I recognize it's a cost. Um, but if you're just scanning your sale bulls, that value is leaving your farm. So we talk about value and investment and having that ultrasound data on your heifers that you're retaining is very valuable as well. So I, I don't want to, I don't want folks to feel as though can submit a DNA test and that covers everything because as we just discussed, DNA does a better job when there's phenotype so that we have P and G and all we have to do is solve for E. Well, and for us, most of our bulls wind up being marketed to commercial cattlemen. That's, that's our guy, right? And most of our commercial cattlemen, they still want to see that raw data. So even if it's nothing more than a marketing choice, get it done. Well, and you just, uh, commercial cattlemen are relying on you. I, I love to bowl, right? I used to be in a bowling league. It was, it's really fun. Now I live an hour from town, so I don't get to do it as much, but what I consider you guys as seed stock producers, Jennifer, is you are the bumpers for your commercial cattlemen. They are relying on you to not let them roll a gutter ball. You are setting up the bumpers. So by you doing that ultrasound, and providing that data. And you know, it goes into the EPDs, right? They'd be better off looking at the EPDs and how, you know, that came together, but we, we won't overwhelm them. You're the one who looks through that EPD information and makes those final cuts for your sale. You're the one who's categorizing those bulls and making those recommendations. So you are the bumpers. And if you guys fall down on that job and one bumper gets taken out and he throws that ball, I mean, you're not getting a repeat customer in an increasingly competitive market for customers. 
We're not creating any more commercial cattlemen that I know of. I mean, especially this year, the herd is down. The U.S. herd size is down. We do not need as many bulls. The market is going to be highly competitive. So as a completely irrelevant to this conversation side note, this is the year to cull, guys. If you've got anything you were questioning, this is the year to cut them. If there is something that should have been a steer, this is not the year to say, make him lot 75. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. It seems to me like, you know, in the beef industry, we do this pendulum thing. And we swing back and forth real hard one way and real hard the other way. And when cool, new, shiny things like genomics come out, we get a bunch of early adopters that are super excited to jump on and do this new thing. And I personally tend to be that type to a fault, right? Like I want to try all the new, shiny things. Let's not worry about the cost. We'll talk about that later. This is so cool. I'm an early adopter of Allied and the genomic stuff that they're doing and working with Marty. I like the shiny new. But then it seems like as some of that starts to hit mainstream, we'll see the pendulum swing back the other way. And this is scaring me a little bit right now in this industry. And I blame, I'm going to be real blunt. I blame Angus for part of this because their obsession with an EPD for absolutely everything, I think scares some people away. Uh, But there's a lot of rumblings about it's too much data. It's too much numbers, too much numbers. None of this is accurate. We're relying too heavily on genomics. I would be curious to hear your thoughts on why, why those people are wrong. (laughs) Well, uh, you, you mentioned early adopter. So if, if, if your listeners have ever studied a technology adoption curve, I mean, we look at cell phones. Okay when they first came out. And what you just mentioned is you're part of that portion. They say 27% of folks typically are like, Ooh, you know, like, let me try it because that's the worst that can happen. Oh yeah. Those blackberries were rocking, man. Right. Right. And, And, um, so you're part of that early portion. And when I just spoke about our genomics coming out in 2009, so I mean, like I said, blind faith, Jennifer, you would have been one of the, my blind faith folks, right. Who is just, we were like, Hey, we, we just need to run it. And in four or five years, trust me, it's going to be there. And so that portion of folks now we're in, I'm going to call it almost to that laggard. So we, we went through early adopters for genomics. We went through that first where the up curve and to your point, we're in that, you know, that mid late adoption stage where folks are feeling like they don't necessarily want to do it, but it might be impacting their marketability. It might be impacting uh, peer pressure. You, you, there's all these factors. So I think I never want to say someone is wrong uh, because I'm just, they, they call me the peacemaker, right? Because I think that they, we have the ability to make decisions for our own operations. This makes us unique. But I will say, I think that a lot of the talk right now is fear. Um, because they're behind and, and I don't say this lightly, but when you look at something and especially something that is powerful as genomics has literally increased our genetic progress from eight calf cycles to one. And if you are questioning that, that's not just genomics. That's as Jennifer alluded to, that's working with right mate technology. Um, we're moving at a faster rate than we ever have before. 
And we are doing it with guardrails. So uh, if you're out there saying, oh my gosh, that scares me, you know, we're moving too fast. And what if we go down the wrong hole? Uh, well, that's why they say it's no wasted matings. So to get back on track, I'll get off uh, my, my right mate, you know, advertisement there is I think it's fear, Jennifer, because they are, genomics came out in 2009. And if you have not been utilizing genomics since 2009, arguably you're 15 years behind. And if you have been using genomics for the last five years and your neighbor hasn't, he is five years behind you. We are in a situation where our industry keeps shrinking and we cannot afford to be behind. So what I see a lot is uh, the questioning of the science, which I welcome that, you know me, like I'm like, hey, you wanna see third-party validated papers? Do you wanna see, you know, like kind of behind the curtain? Please call me, reach out to me on Facebook. Like we'll do a video about it. We'll do a podcast about it, right, Jennifer? Like, like send us your questions. But I think that that's important to note is they're operating from a place of we're behind and they see it. And the second piece of your question of, um, you know, are genomics playing too much of a role? Are we getting too many numbers? Uh, I think we're getting a lot of numbers that confuse the commercial cattlemen, which frustrates me. Uh, I get a lot of questions from commercial producers. They might attend an Angus sale one day, a Black Hereford sale the next day, yes. and a Simmental sale the third day, let's say. And all of the numbers are different, Jennifer. The indexes are different. The birth, and that's overwhelming yeah. for a guy who is like, please just help me choose the right bull for my females that's going to bring me the most value and work in my environment. So when we talk about is Angus getting too much information, I would say not for the seed stock producers who can bite it down and, and chew on it, but are we putting too much in our catalogs that truly overwhelm people? I would say probably borderline, <laughs> borderline of too much information because when guys come to check in for a sale and I'm clerking a sale, you just said ultrasound. They want to see the scan. They always want to see the scan, right, wrong, and different. Commercial cow-calf guy wants to see the scan data. And unfortunately for us, ribeye area is very highly heritable and they still seem to put a lot of emphasis on that. And I'm like, what about marbling? Like, can we, can we talk, can we talk about this other piece? You know, that's not necessarily correlated to that one. Uh, but, but all jokes aside, I would encourage you as a seed stock producer to evaluate what's in your catalog. Is it overwhelming for a person to understand, digest, and does it give them what they need to know without sacrificing your marketability? So you, you, you touched on it. If you don't do ultrasound, your guys are going to say, oh, they must have something to hide this year. You know, they knew they weren't going to scan well. If you don't put the actual birth weight or have it available for your customers, they automatically you know, go to the, you must've had birth weight problems. I'm going to have calving issues, which I, I'm so frustrated by that. But as a seed stock individual, look at your catalog and have someone maybe who's new to the industry. That's what we do. Beta test, hand your catalog to someone who has cows, buys bulls and ask them questions. What do you look for? 
what's the first thing that your eye goes to and see like, cause you've looked at your catalog. How many years, how many years have you guys had a sale? Well, and it all blends together in the end. It's like riding yeah. a bike, right? Yeah. Or writing an essay. You've proofed. I mean, how many, how many times do we put the catalog to print? And then we're like, oh, oh my yeah. gosh, you will find something every time. That's wrong. So I encourage you guys get fresh pairs of eyes on your catalogs. What actually needs to be in there? And maybe you could take a lot of pieces out. Not saying all of them, please don't get scared. Let's not make big changes all in one year. But is there stuff that you could do differently? And I would say an Angus, if you're an Angus producer out there, there's a lot of things we could do differently to present information to our customers. So I'm 90% sure that by next summer, every time I run an Angus cow through the shoot, I'm going to have to sit there and count how many flies are on her in like a five square inch area and report that back for the new fly EPD that we're running. Yes. Yes. I would say labor and labor has become an issue with collecting phenotypes um, because it is exhausting, but I would say that they also are the breed, the beef breed association leader in do EPD and trait development, Jennifer, because of their sheer size. Um, They can get to an EPD creation a lot quicker. Do I think we need an EPD for every little thing? Um, I don't know. Maybe. You know, but once again, how do we present that information? That's what becomes important. I could care less how many EPDs an association publishes. How do we take that and present that? Well, the EPDs, you are overwhelming your customer. The EPDs I always struggle the most with, and this is definitely down a rabbit hole that I didn't intend to go down. I struggle not with recording and reporting myself, but as a customer, I struggle with foot and udder scores because they are hmm. so subjective. Right. And that's another way that there's some beauty to genomics. Okay. Because that's not subjective. Okay. So I I can know which ones, which EPDs am I less likely to be concerned about the subjectivity of whoever's reporting it. Right. An excellent utter to me might not be an excellent utter to my neighbor. Ideal. Yeah. Like I, I always talk about ideals uh, and you're spot on. I would also say on both of those traits specifically, heritability. Yeah. I mean, the heritability is higher than let's say heifer pregnancy on feet and leg. It's about, you know, Angus estimates 0.24. Um, but, you know, to compare that, if you're out there saying heritability, oh my gosh, Lee, I'll buy it. I was like, you know, birth weight heritability is like a 0.48, I think. Don't quote me on that, but that's, you know, so- when we look at heritability of different traits, Jennifer, that's also a, you know, and, and subject, you know, subjective scoring body condition score would be another one. What's a seven to you right? might be an eight to me because I'm like, Hey, our cows are lean here. They're, they're lean and mean. Uh, so it all works out though. You score enough. I would say that same thing about feet and leg, unless someone's letting their emotions get involved, which I cannot we can't prevent that. Right. right. She's my favorite cow. I'm not going to give her, you know, a, a 32, you know, just because that, that toe is, you know, she's had a hard life right. know, or whatever the excuse. Oh, is. there's always a good reason. Yes. But those are the folks you're probably not buying bulls from. Anyway. Right. And I, I, I hate to categorize it, that, but we tend to birds of a feather flock together. I'm sure Jennifer, that you vet your seed stock producers just like we do. So 
along a similar vein of data reporting, I'd love to talk about how we both intentionally and unintentionally bias our animals when we're reporting. I mean, everybody knows, you know, it's the first of the year. So there's been all the great memes going around that were, you know, the November, December, look at my January 1st calf, all that intentional stuff that exists. There's not a whole lot we can do about that. But sometimes we think we're doing the right thing and really we're jacking up our whole herd. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. Well, your, your and mine's first discussion was all about contemporary grouping. So as a listener, yes. like circle back, listen to that podcast. Um, because I think contemporary grouping is more important now than ever before. And that is how you confidently do not bias your submissions. If an animal had an equal opportunity to perform, it should be submitted with that group. Okay. So groups of cattle. So when you're asking about how do we unknowingly or knowingly bias, because we do have people who knowingly bias sometimes, uh, is you submit groups of data that might not be on animals that had an equal opportunity to perform. So if you have bulls getting fed creep and then another pasture of bulls that do not have access to creep and you turn in weaning weights from both of said groups, Who's going to weigh heavier? I would hope that the ones who had, you know, creep feed. And these ones over here, even though they did not have access to creep, they're going to look a lot lighter. And what are we going to contribute and chalk that up to? We're going to take a look at sires and we're going to say, well, sire A over here, who his, we didn't know this because it wasn't turned in with the data, but his bulls calves had access to creep and sire B, his bull calves were 50 pounds lighter, let's say. Suddenly it looks like sire A, his calves are outperforming sire B by 50 pounds because we've missed a component. So I think what's important and at the hands of seed stock producers is to keep that in mind whenever you're submitting data to the association, equal opportunity to perform. And if there are animals that you have treated multiple times, so a chronic, that animal should be pulled out of a contemporary group. If you have an animal you grafted on So a calf you grafted onto another cow, not being raised by its genetic dam. We want to make sure that calf does not get included in a contemporary group because he's not being raised by his genetic dam. So you get into these situations, Jennifer, where we have to ask ourselves. And we also have to remember at reporting time, which is the other tough part, take good notes, right? Is how can we best evaluate these animals and really allow the evaluation to pull apart what was an environmental difference versus what was a genetic difference. We're talking about genomics today, and I do feel like I would be remiss to not mention this applies to genomics as well, Jennifer. So if we're only submitting the top calves for genomic testing, so if you've already made all the coal calves that went to town, bottom 50% of the calves, and we're testing keepers, how much data are we missing out on from a genomic perspective? Once again, I will I will reiterate, I recognize there's a cost associated with testing for genomics. So it really, how can you justify testing a steer? That's what I hear all the time, right? Like, Leoma, I'm not going to test these 50 calves because I'm culling them. 
Well, when we look at genomic prediction and genomic, you know, contemporary grouping, if I have the genotypes on those 50 coal calves and the genotypes on the 50 keeper calves, suddenly your operation makes a lot more sense to the evaluation because they can look at the large effect genes on the coals, right? And they can look at the large effect genes on the keepers and we have a full picture of what happened. So going back to our algebra equation, you just gave the genetic evaluation the best possible, like, you know, submissions to help solve the equation. Now, if you have financial limitations, just know you're also doing an excellent job by submitting the keepers for genomic testing. I am not, it's not in zero or 10. Okay. That's the importance of this, but also understand that by not testing the full contemporary group, there is a little bit of bias in that because we are just getting, I'm going to call them your rock stars. Is that fair? So please don't take this as Leoma said, if we're not testing our whole contemporary group, you know, that is not the purpose of this. But when we talk about ideal situations, that would be an ideal situation as you were submitting genotypes on a full contemporary group so that that way they could all be evaluated. Um, so that's, that's what leads to your bias though. And, and a lot of it is unknowingly. We just don't know. We don't mark that they were creep, you know, creeped. We don't take, we don't remember that we grafted that calf on to H100 and, and, and so just little things to put in our brains at reporting time, Jennifer, or when you're taking notes in that calf book, twins, right? Twins don't get contemporary, but we should indicate, you know, like that they're out of the contemporary group. Um, ET calves. So right now That's the evaluation- That's a whole nother can of worms. <laughs> I was going to say, but if you do have ETs, something to yeah. remember is you're not going to have contemporary grouping on growth traits, but you talked about ultrasound, Jennifer. They will get contemporary ultrasound. ETs do. So if you are someone who buys back cooperator ETs and also has home-raised ETs, when you report those embryos, make sure to denote them as different herds. Like these are little things that you can get right. into, but bias, bias of, of data, it's there. Well, and it's an interesting cycle, right? Because if I'm somebody who's concerned about the science or who's concerned about what genomics really is and why it should matter to me. I'm also somebody who's probably going to be more likely to only submit those ones that I feel like really have to, which in the end doesn't help my reports, doesn't help my accuracy. You're going to have to do it all if you want to truly see what is going on with your herd. And, you know, in this industry, we're all in it for the long game. There's nobody that thinks that they're getting into ranching. Well, at least I hope there's nobody that thinks they're getting into this and they're going to make a quick buck and turn it around and be done. And if you're in this for the long game, you need to be thinking about how you're making those genetic decisions for the future. You can't do that, or you're not going to do that well, if you're skipping a whole chunk of that picture. It just makes sense. And how do we evaluate, Jennifer, what are EPDs expected to evaluate? The average. Right. Okay. So say that again louder to, for the people in the back. To forget. And so let's talk about those late adopters, you know, mid to late adopters for a second. When we just visited about that, 
that's another component that comes into this is I tested my favorite heifer who was not related FYI, Jennifer, to anything in the database that's been genotyped because I haven't been submitting genomics, you know, like, but let's forget all of that for a second. I submitted one sample and she is my, like, she is amazing. And you should see her damn. And, but, but what they forget is the evaluation doesn't have genomics on any of her damn maternals, like, because you haven't been doing genomic testing. So we are, we are just evaluating her herself against a population of animals that we know quite a bit about, right? So she comes back, Jennifer, and your EPDs go down on her. And you sit there and say, genomics don't work because that heifer, that is my best heifer standing in that field. I, I know her great, great, you know, like, I mean, and what I want to share with those folks is if you had submitted that heifer with the other 15 heifers that she was raised with, for genomic testing and send in all of their data. I'm guessing that she would actually be out here as an outlier on the favorable side. And then the other 14 would fall on that bell-shaped curve, right? But when we submit one animal and we're expecting that one animal to be bright and shiny, when we really have nothing to compare it to, that's really not fair to her and not fair to ourselves. So I would ask anyone who's out there who, who really wants to kind of, as you just mentioned, you know, do some genomic testing this year on 2024 calves, consider that. Maybe don't just submit one or two heifers. Submit 10 to 15 from that same group. Get a great idea, you know, on your bell-shaped curve because we are talking about EPDs, which is on the average. And so if you have outliers, we're always going to have outliers, the genomics will shift them where they should be from that average, which is why we do what we do. Well, but, and a contemporary group seems like a great first start commitment. You know, if you're not super sure, do a, do one contemporary group. That way you've got your comparison there. And evaluate and download your EPDs before you send in your genomics. Okay. So after they've been through a bolt run for you as a black Hereford breeder, you're getting ready to send in your DNA, download all of your EPDs with their accuracy levels, have a copy, save it. After you get back your genomics, download that same set of EPDs with the accuracies, Jennifer. And like you said, truly compare before and afters and look at the movements. And I will guarantee you, and you did hear that, guarantee you that it will do a very nice job of ranking those heifers for like, and cause that's what EPDs do for us, right? Here's the bottom, here's the bottom, here's the middle, here's the top. Mm -hmm. Is it going to get your numbers exactly right? No, but it's better than zero. So let's remember that taking that first step, you have more information than you had yesterday and you can do with that information, whatever you desire. If you never want to show anybody if you don't ever want to publish it, you don't want to connect it, guess what? You don't have to, right? But make that first step and be honest about it and reach out to your association, to Jennifer. Like, I'm going to put you out there, Jennifer, because I know I get private messages on Facebook too, right? But if you are someone who is struggling with the understanding piece, 
reach out to someone who is willing to take a moment and help you break it down. Because I promise you, when we break it down, it makes sense. But if we never ask the questions, we may never get the answer. I love that because that's what I've ran into every time I have a question on an EPD that doesn't make sense. If I ask, it, it's almost always something that is easily explained. By the whole group, right, Jennifer? Because they never right. say, you, you notice if you ask a question about one animal mm -hmm. to your association, your association's response almost always includes your whole group of animals. And there's a reason for that because we're not talking about that one animal. We're talking about the contemporary group. So. Well, thank you so much for taking out so much time of your day. I know you've got a, a busy afternoon of feeding and chores ahead of you in the lovely, lovely winter weather we're having right now. So I just really appreciate that you were willing to sit down and do this with me today. Well, Jennifer, I thank you so much for inviting me. And, and if you couldn't tell out there as a listener, I'm very passionate about genomics. Um, I do want people to ask questions, Jennifer. So if they send, if you guys send in questions, we will get together. We'll make sure you get an answer. If you send us your emails, um, I'll make sure to pass along those, but I'm and if you are a person out there who struggles with data reporting, data management, Data Genie LLC, we are a home for any breed association. So we work with any breed association to help you get these questions answered. Well, and just following you on Facebook, you're a wealth of knowledge. You post videos, you explain things. If this is something that piques your interest, if this is something that you would like to just learn in little snippets as you go, which is a great way to take some of this in, definitely follow Data Genie on Facebook. Thank you, Leoma. Thanks, Jennifer. This episode was also sponsored by Walter's Cattle Farm down in Kentucky. Robert and Sandy have been longtime Black Hereford members and breeders. Their tireless work and unshakable support for American Black Herefords was truly instrumental in getting the breed where it is today. If you're looking to add some depth and muscle to your Black Herefords, make sure you take a look at Walter's Cattle Farm. You can find them on Facebook by searching Walters Cattle Farms or give Robert a call at 270-832-1180. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Herford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>